drive-by prayer meetings, bury cloths at the four corners of a city. That doesn't mean there's a church there. Not until there's a family, a man of God, a family of God that says, this is my city, God's called me here. And we're thankful for the Meyer family and what God has called them to do. Amen. You are in good hands. What a beautiful building. Amen. We think it's very beautiful. And uh, beautiful people, beautiful building to worship the Lord in. So I am a metro missionary. Think of a foreign missionary that comes through, but I don't have to travel overseas. And the world is coming to America, as we know. And uh, whether we like it or not, it's happening. And the church needs to take advantage of that. And so I'm, we, in Michigan, we have two districts. We have the Michigan district, and that's the older legacy district. Then we have the new Detroit Metro district. And in our district, Brother Art Wilson is our superintendent. I think he was here a few weeks ago. Great man of God, ministering in your district. Uh, we have 4.8 million people that live in just 2% of the land mass of Michigan. Detroit Metro is only 2% of the land mass. And in that 4.8 million people, there's only 30 churches. That's counting every outhouse, doghouse, anything you can count. And so if everybody wanted to get up and go to church on Sunday, we'd have to have seating for about 180,000 or so per church. We only have 30 churches. Some of those are preaching points. Uh, preaching point is just kind of the lowest level of entry you can go, kind of investigating an area. And of those 30 churches or so, we have three preaching points. So really, about 26 self-governing churches to reach 4.8 million people. And uh, we have 17 cities in our district with a population of 50,000 or more with no United Pentecostal Church and in some cases no apostolic witness. That doesn't mention the ones that are 40 and 30. There is a great need there. We have the largest Muslim population in the world other than the Middle East. And we do have a church in that city, uh, but unfortunately we have not been able to break into that community. And we need, we need God to help us. Amen. So that's why Rachel and I resigned our church after 19 years. There really was no reason to leave it. We took over the church when Brother Sistrum, our, our NAM director, resigned to become a Metro missionary. 19 years later, Rachel and I are following uh, him and Carla, and we are becoming Metro missionary to the same area. Of course, now he's in headquarters. But so that's why we... Uh, resigned, we begin to feel. How many people know that God can talk to you at any moment in your day? I would just say that's why we should walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, because God does not speak to us through our intellect. Uh, he can use that, but that's not where His voice. His voice comes and speaks to our spirit. And sometimes when you hear the voice of God and you begin to reason, it kind of scares you a little bit. Because I would submit to you, if God speaks to you and you got it all figured out, I don't know that that's the voice of God. I've heard the voice of God and run outside, get in my car, go home, wake up on Monday morning, and the world hits me in the face. And i got to decide, am I going to walk by faith or by sight? And so I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, 2019, August, and the Lord just came into that room spoke to me as I was getting ready to leave 
go back home. We go to Gatlinburg because it's a free vacation. And uh, so I was there. And the Lord just came and spoke to me. He said, your, your ministry's in transition. That's what I heard. So filled my mind that there was no, it was, it was like the Lord was giving me a point of fact, like saying it's cold out, snowing or light, dark, whatever. And so I began to pray. And right there, the Lord spoke to me, gave me four or five things that were happening. That I was to resign my church. He was going to bring a young man that Rachel and I had raised up back home. And that we, I was going to become the NAM director of the new district. That I would be a metro missionary. And that I would deputize. All that laid out there in just a moment. I didn't know all the zigs and the zags and the turns that would happen. How many people remember the pandemic? Well, every time I'd go to the Lord and pray and say, Lord, you called me to do this. He would always say to me, nothing will hinder what I've called you to do. We knew we needed to stay there and kind of stabilize things. And so this last February, we had our last service and we resigned. And I got on the road and been traveling ever since. People say, how's it going? Uh, and I say, well, ask me in like 12 months or something. So far, so good. And we've enjoyed traveling. But let me just show you some pictures about where we've been and then kind of where we're going. We pastored three churches, three different campuses. We had a, a go the other way. That's where I'm going. Let me show you where I've been. Keep on going. There'll be a parking lot with some cars in it. There we go. Uh, so uh, where was that? What was I saying? Okay, where I've been. So we passed, I know where I was at. I, I, we pastored three churches at three different campuses. We had an 8 o'clock service, had 11.30 service, and we had a 3 o'clock service. We changed the 8 o'clock service to 8.45 to make it sound better. And when I resigned, within a few weeks, they changed it to 10 o'clock. Can you believe that? <laughs> and so, but this was our, our this is the, the church here, not this building, but this is the church that we took over for Scott Sistrunk, we moved from where we were at to this building. We bought an old Ford dealership. Uh, in 2008, that economic crisis that blew through Michigan, blew through the Midwest, hit Detroit pretty hard. We bought that building, 28,000 square feet for $280,000. Unbelievable. God. God. And when God, I don't care what God's got to do, he can find you a building. And so we bought that. That's our, la our second to last service there on a Sunday. Next slide. And, okay, that, well, they're all mixed up. This is the 8 o'clock. So that's, that's right there. That's where they used to work on cars, trains, transmissions, and work on brakes. Now we're working on people. This was the last few people that I got to baptize. Right there is Rose, our daughter. We, she was baptized in Jesus' name. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. This is a group of young men and young ladies that we baptized from a high school. Um, so far, I think we're at like 25 in the last couple of years we baptized them. This young man here next to the man with the towel, to, the, to my left, Sean, uh, took some mushrooms and overdosed on them. And he hallucinated so bad that he thought he was on fire, running through his house, breaking windows, break, going through walls, and his mom and dad were backslid, and so all they knew that he wasn't baptized. I don't rec really recommend this, but they went upstairs and filled their garden tub up, 
They drug him up, and he was screaming, I'm on fire, and they baptized him, got him in that water, dunked him in Jesus' name, and all of a sudden, Sean went limp, slept for two days, came to church, God filled him with the Holy Ghost, and he left and went to his high school and started talking to his buddies, his mushroom buddies, and his druggies, his drug friend. These, pe- these kids started coming into the church. And you would hear their knees hit the back of that, plat- the front of that platform as they begin to cry out to God. Now, the hard parts now is discipling them, but God has done a great work, and I think, I think we're up to 24 or so that have been baptized in Jesus' name. This kid right here with the towel, um, Ethan, he uh, went to his friend's house. It was February. and said, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name or you're going to go to hell. Don't recommend that approach. But that's what he told him, and he said, I don't want to go to hell. So they couldn't get a hold of anybody. So he said, well, here's, my, my, it's a, well, here's water. He said, what does hinder? We told him that scripture. So he went out, and I wish I could show you the picture, but I can't because he took his shirt off, went out into that Raisin River in February and baptized his friend Joe. In G- so you never know what these kids are going to bring in, what they're doing, and it's just really, really exciting. All the, the senior, senior saints are like, what is going on? And we're just on for a ride. And so Joe was baptized the next Sunday. He repented at the altar for over two hours. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He brought his family in on an Easter Sunday. And they all came up and Joe was praying. And his mom and his three dad and his three sisters gathered around him and they were just watching Joe as he was worshiping. They were just blown away at the change that God has made in Joe's life. So that's where we were. Next slide. This building we bought, 50,000 square feet. This is how bad the economy was in Michigan for $180,000. And you can show a couple slides there. That's the sanctuary there. We resigned that church. Okay, let me show you where I'm going. Going there from the pulpit to a kitchen island pulpit. We'll find it somewhere. There we go. This is a young couple in a small group. That, that, you, can go back, you can go back where that guy's talking. And this is us in our small group. We had 26 there, our first small group. Seven were from a, a, a church nearby, and 19 were, were non-church-going, non-apostolic people that came to our first small group. We want to get that to 30 or 40 before we start our church. And so this is us in that meeting. Do a couple, couple hits there. That man's a a detective with the Wayne County Sheriff's Department. His daughter was, they, they, she ran away. They were missing her for 10 years. She called up. This is what God does. Called up in Florida, went to a rehab center, met somebody. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. They baptized her in Jesus' name in that, in that rehab center. And she finally called her mom and dad said, hey, I'm alive. And now they're making arrangements to see her. God, God, you never know what God is working on uh, when you're exhausted and you've done everything you can do. God is still at work. Amen. Amen. So we're going from the pulpit to the kitchen island, and that's going to be where we start our churches. And we believe I'm going to be a career church planner, which means I go into a city, start a church and I turn it over to somebody, and then I go and do it again. That really excites Rachel and I. And again, there was no reason to leave Clinton other than we felt the voice of the Lord speaking to us, 
And I don't know about you, I kind of feel that same spirit here. I want to obey the voice of God. And I didn't want to have civil war in my mind what God could have done if we would have obeyed. And so here we are in Berlin, New Berlin. Amen. Can we all stand for the reading of the word today? Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for your support and kind words. Do appreciate that. Love my wife, my partner in crime, Bible study teacher, and she's always writing a new Bible study, writing it out, and, and uh, I appreciate her ministry. Amen. So Jesus here is teaching them. You can find many verses about the cross. I want to talk to you about the message of the cross as it's written uh, here in this record. It says, and he began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things. Must suffer many things and uh, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed after three days rise again. And he spake these sayings openly. Everybody say openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. So Jesus is teaching. Peter's rebuking. Not liking what he's hearing. But when he had turned about, he looked on his disciples and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, this is the requirements to come after him, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Then he gives four reasons or arguments why it's beneficial for us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. He says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the gospels, the same shall save it. It's the greatest paradox of all paradoxes. I don't know how it works. I don't know how to add it up, divide it. But if I lose my life for his sake, I find it. But if I, if I, if I gain, try to gain everything for myself... And don't lose my life for his sake, I lose my life. I don't know how that works. I can't add it up, but I have found it to be true. That if I try to do things how I want to do them, with my own intellect, the ingenuity, abilities for myself, I lose my life. But something happens when I lose my life for his sake. The Gospels, I save it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Then it says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words, this adulterous and sinful generation of him also, shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Church, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth away, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. We've had the privilege today of having the word of God read over to us. I pray he that hath an ear. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. May it change our lives forever. In Jesus' name, you may be seated today. A church inscribed the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, on the outside wall of their historic downtown building. They inscribed these words, we preach Christ crucified. Over time, though, ivy grew up the walls and obscured the last word of that statement. Now visible were these words, we preach Christ. 
Over time, with nobody's fault, nobody was really watching, Ivy continued to grow up that wall. Now it covered the last two words of we preach Christ crucified. Now it simply read, we preach. Now, that's a sad parable. That when now somebody goes by that church, all they hear and see is we preach. It's a side, side, sad commentary of, a, of the contemporary church. There's no shortage of churches today. There's no shortage of pastors and preachers preaching in these churches. But Christ crucified is sometimes obscured and even absent, covered up by the immensity of programs and busyness of the church and social justice issues. We preach Christ now. People can go to a church for months, even years, and never get a clear presentation of we preach Christ crucified. You can hear messages about the big guy in the sky and the seven ways to get your blessing and some kind of personal message and uh, social justice and love connections and user-friendly subject. But I want to tell you what's needed today is there to be a clear message of Christ crucified. And so what is today the message of the cross? Here we find in this text it is right after the great confession of Peter. We like to preach about that. And the Lord sometimes will ask a question. Doesn't mean he doesn't know, but he's basically saying, do you know? When he asked Adam, Adam, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know where Adam was, but did Adam know what he had done? Did Adam know what he had? Sin was a cosmic event. Everything, earth and soul and everything changed when Adam and Eve sinned. And so, Adam, where are you? He was over in the bushes trying to cover his sin and trying to fix what he had done. And so he said, where are you? And here he's asking his disciples a question. Who do men say that I am? And he said, you got your ear to the, to the, the street, the ground. What are, who, who, what are people saying that I am? He knew what people were saying that he was. But he, he was trying to get his disciples where he wanted them. They said, well, some say you're... You're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. He said, no, who, this is where he wanted them. Who do you say that I am? And I want to tell the church tonight that at some point in your walk with God, you're going to have to give an answer for yourself who he is to you. It's not going to do to say my pastor said or my mama said or the youth pastor said or the Sunday school teacher once taught me. You're going to have to give an answer for yourself who he is to you. And right there, Peter just kind of blurted it out. He said, thou art the Christ. You remember? The son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bardona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You did not get this from your conversation with the other apostles. You did not get this from your own intellect or your own ascending ability of thinking. You got this from my Father who is in heaven. And I want to tell the church today, if he blessed Peter for that pronouncement, we too are a blessed people because we know who who he is. 
Come on, has anybody ever been baptized in Jesus' name? I think you had one today. In him dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead body. We are a blessed people because, it, because in him dwelleth all the fullness. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. I don't know about you, but it is the great, greatest, I said the greatest, revelation we can have on earth to know who he is. But even with that confession of Peter that was full of faith, it was a revelation, still I, I just don't believe, Pastor, that they had a full understanding of the identity of Jesus. At least they did not know his vocation, what he had Come to do. They understood to some degree that he was the Messiah, he was the Son of the living God, uh, but the problem was they still brought to that understanding some serious flawed, flawed thinking and understanding of what the title Messiah really meant, namely the cross. So after, I love this part, after they made that pronouncement, they said, Thou art the Christ. The Bible says right after that he, that he stopped and began to teach them everything that it meant for him to be the Messiah. It was like this. He said, uh, okay, you have called me Messiah. And so he said, let me tell you what that means since you've called me Messiah. And the Bible says that he began to speak these sayings openly. I don't believe the Lord just said these words, but he began to teach them. I believe he went back into the Old Testament again to show them where he was in the Old Testament. And so he began to teach them. And so Mark, Mark says he began to teach them. What did he teach them? That the Son of Man must suffer many things that he must be rejected and he must be killed. He gives them a ray of hope, he says, and I will rise again on the third day. They didn't hear that. Sometimes we don't hear the, the, the positive. We kind of grab a hold of the negative. He said, yes, I'm going to suffer, and yes, I'm going to be rejected and be killed, but then later that I would rise again from the dead. The first Three elements of that, that he would suffer and that he would be rejected and that he would be killed, came as a total shock to the ears of the, the, the disciples. They thought he had come to set up an earthly kingdom. Now, when he did this, when he taught them, and uh, they had seen his power on display every single day of their lives that they were walking with him, at this point, he had already changed the water into wine. He had healed the man with leprosy. He healed the man that was paralyzed. He healed the centurion's servant. He raised the widow's son from death. He calmed the storm. He cast out demons. He healed the lady with the issue of blood. He fed the 5,000. He even walked on water. No wonder Peter said, thou art the Christ. He saw his power and he taught with authority on display every single day of their lives. And then this Christ that they had been following, now he is saying that he's not going to use any of that kind of authority that he has and that he's going to Jerusalem not, not to see what will happen, but he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to be rejected and to be killed. And let me tell you, that reminds me too of my own walk with God. 
I can be full of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, coming to church every Sunday, and still sometimes I don't understand everything that God is doing in the church or doing in my life. I can, he, he is the mighty God in Christ, but I can still need a pastor in my life. I still need leadership in my life to help me and give me directions in what God is doing in my life. No longer was he holding anything back. He was now giving them everything. And I don't believe he just said, I'm going to suffer and be rejected and be killed. I believe the Lord was showing. Maybe he took them all the way back into Genesis, where I believe the first time the gospel was preached, he said, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And yes, he, you will strike him, but in striking him, you, he will, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. That's the gospel message right there. And he began to show them in Scripture where he was. Peter did not like what the Lord was saying. Now the question for us today is why did Jesus use these words not as a possibility, but why did he use these words as a necessity? He didn't say, let's go to Jerusalem and let's just see what happens. He goes, no, I'm going there, and when I go there, I'm going to suffer. And when I go there, I'm going to be rejected. And when I go there, I will be killed. Now do you remember I, I, we, I, I know that John the Baptist knew that Jesus was his cousin. And I, knew he, I, knew, I know he knew him by sight. But I don't think John the Baptist really knew who he was. Maybe up to this point right here. John the Baptist is down there. Remember the question. Why, why did he have to go to Jerusalem? Why did he have to suffer? He's down there at the Jordan River baptizing people under repentance, saying there's one <clears throat> that was before me, that will be after me. I'm baptizing you with water, but he'll baptize you with fire. I'm not even worthy to unloosen his, his shoes, his laces, and, he, I, and he's coming. He's going he's gonna to be here. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist sees the Lord for the very first time in that light. And do you remember what he said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Peter would deny him, but later Peter would say, we are redeemed. It's, that's a word of commerce. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he was the lamb slain from the very foundation of the world. Church, it was always that the plan of God for salvation that the Son of Man and the Son of God would stand in the place of his people. That he would, he would suffer, not because he was worthy or did anything worthy worthy of suffering, that he would be rejected, not because he had done anything that was worthy of rejection, that he would be killed, not because he was worthy of that punishment, but for the sake of his people. And I want to tell you, that's why we worship, and that's why we come to church, and that's why we rejoice. Not because of a new car, not because of a job promotion, but we come in here and sing songs and worship because he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was the high priest, but he also became the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Come on, let's clap our hands unto the Lord today. <clears throat> Hallelujah. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth shall die. 
The soul that sinneth shall die. It is the law. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know there is homeless. I know that people are, 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 are hungry. I know that people, all kinds of issues in our world today, but I want to tell you the reason there's issues and the re reason there's wars and the reason there's hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and famine and all pestilence is because of sin. Sin is the greatest issue. It's the greatest dilemma of all mankind and his suffering and his rejection and him being killed is a remedy for our sin. We need to understand today that the message of the cross is that he died for our sin. Hey, he did, the Bible says he did not bear our sins emotionally. He just did not bear our sins uh, spiritually. But the Bible says he bore our sins in his own body that we might be dead to sin and live in righteousness. Oh, church, we got to get a vision of the cross. We got to cling to the cross. We got to underclaim. At the cross is where we first saw the light. He would be, be punished before Almighty God. I guess the Lord could have just stepped in and, for His mercy's sake, said, Okay, everybody is forgiven. I guess he could have come in his goodness and said, I will remove everybody's sin. That may have satisfied the love of God, but it would not have satisfied the justice of God. He did not come to break the law. The law is every soul that sinneth shall die. Church, it's not just a one of our little doctrines on the side. It is our core doctrine that he did not sin. The Bible says that he was blameless. He was harmless. He was holy. He was without defect or default. He was perfect. He was the Holy One. He is our high priest. He was not one of these high priests that first had to offer sacrifices for his own before he did it for his people. Once and for all, he became the high priest, and he also became, in that moment, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Full payment, church. Full payment had to be paid for our sin. I said full payment had to be paid. The Bible says, he that hath made him that knew no sin to become sin, that we might, come on, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And sometimes we can read past that and not really understand what it's trying to say to us. When it said he hath made him to, that knew no sin, Jesus Christ, had made him sin. That means he never was a liar. But on that cross, he became a lie. He never was a fornicator. But on that cross, he became fornication. He became every perversion, every sin that man would ever commit. He became that sin on that cross. Full payment had to be made. And so we find here that God placed all the sin of all, not just from the garden to the cross, but from the garden to the cross to the last person to be born on planet Earth. Not just for sin in general, 
But every sin you would commit, and every sin you would commit, and every sin you would commit, and I would commit, and add us all up, all the sin of all mankind, every act of sin was placed upon him. You want to know why I worship? You want to know why I give? That's why. Because he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's why there's hope here. That's why there's people getting baptized here. That's why we come here. Because he is that lamb slain. <clears throat> you know, I think sometimes, Pastor, we don't realize how bad sin is. And we try to fix it like Adam and Eve fixed it. And God said, that's not going to work. And I believe right there in front of Adam and Eve, in that garden, God walked over and slew an animal. And maybe right there in front of them, he peeled the skin off that, adult, that, that animal, walked over and put it on Eve, killed another animal. And right there, Adam and Eve are to- horrified of what happens. And he's letting them know, this is the price of your sin. And from then on out, the Bible says in the appointed time, they would offer up sacrifices to God for their Sin. We have to understand that God does not hate the sinner, but he hates sin. You don't have to live with your sin tonight. You don't have to stay the same God is here to forgive us of our sin. But I want to tell you, when the Lord was in that garden praying, before his arrest, he prayed, Lord, he said, let this cup pass from me was not speaking of see sometimes we read that thing he was talking about he was he was kind of having second thoughts about going to the cross that's not what it is at all he said let this cup pass from me what he is talking about is the wrath of God he's not wanting to drink the cup of the wrath of almighty God. Not just the wrath in that moment, but the wrath of all man's sin was in that cup that Jesus was getting ready. He wasn't talking about the nails that would be in his hand or the crown of thorns that would be on his head or him being mocked and beaten and, and ridiculed. That's not what he's saying. Let that. He's talking about the wrath of God, what Jesus was saying, and that he did not want to experience the full weight and wrath of God upon his life. Not just for those around the cross, but I want to tell you for the sin of all mankind, let that cup pass from me. I want you to imagine that you're in a valley below. Above you is a dam. It's a mile high, five miles long. It's holding back that water. You hear a sound that you'd never heard before, but you know exactly what it is. That dam has broken loose. And that water now is racing down to that where you are in that valley. You can see it taking trees and homes and cars. You can just see it coming. There's no way to outrun it. <clears throat> in fact, you're going to have to submit to what is coming. You can't do anything about it. Grab the hand of your child, your wife, and you're just waiting, submitting unto death what will be is what, what is going to be. You can't, you can't do anything about it. And all of a sudden, the earth opens up in front of you, 
And all of a sudden, that hole opens up, and all that water is drank down, drinks all that rage of that water. You look down at your feet. There's not one drop of water on you. Can I just tell you, that's what Jesus did on that cross for six hours he was, or seven hours, however you want to count, he was on that cross. There was much activity happening the first three hours or so. Then all of a sudden, the Bible says that the sun stopped doing what it was created to do, and it went black, and darkness came upon the face of all the earth. It was like the, the, it was like creation could no longer watch as the creator was being crucified by his creation. And right there in the darkness, our Lord bare the sin of all mankind. And he cried out from, from Psalms. He said, my God, my God, why? He didn't say, where are you? He said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Church, that's why. We're loyal. That's why we're apostolic. That's why we give. That's why we come. That's why we pray. That's why we give our lives. Because what he did on Calvary, if you're coming for any other reason, if you're here for any other reason, we all need to repent and say, God, I'm here because you are the lamb slain. You are the one that bore my sin. You're the one that took it away. That my child can live for you. That my grandchild can live for you. That there's hope in this community because of what you did on Calvary. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. Come on now. He didn't say, I'm all done. He didn't say, I can't do anymore. He didn't say, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. He didn't say anything like that. He said, it is finished. What he's talking about right then in that moment that the price had been paid for our sin. It's not some kind of limited atonement. It's a universal atonement. Whosoever will. That's why there's hope for the drug addict. That's why there's hope for the prodigal. That's why there's hope for this community because he said it is finished <laughs> that word is to telestai I believe I just said this a moment ago that he did not just pay the sin conceptually but he paid the sin of every sin that would ever be committed can you imagine that kind of wrath being folk, it didn't just placed on him, it came down on him. Now, hell's gonna be a bad place, but I think the worst thing about hell is your separation from God. Because there's a common grace that God gives all mankind to laugh and to get married and to, to earn a wage and to learn. That's a common grace that he gives to every person. I don't care who you are. He gives that common grace. But there's also a saving grace that he gives us. And some people, it's a stumbling block to some and it's foolishness to others. But to those that believe, the cross is the power of God unto salvation or for salvation. He said, it is finished. It's a word of commerce. 
when somebody would come in and buy something in the marketplace, they would say, Tetelestai, paid in full. Now, maybe it's just because I'm from Detroit, but if I buy something, I want them to put on that receipt. Paid in full. Anybody else like that? Write on that paid in full. Put the date, put your name, paid in full. But also was a, 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 a judicial word. Somebody would come before the magistrate, and they had served their full sentence. They hadn't served a day late. No, they hadn't got out a day early. They had served exactly what their crime said they had to serve, what they were sentenced to serve. The magistrate would say, Tetelestai, paid in full. You no longer owe anything to society, paid in full. But it's also a military term. A general would look out over the battlefield after he had collected all the armaments and had slain most of the soldiers, had capt captivated all, captured all the, the generals so there's no way for the army to rally back. He would look at his generals and say, Tetelestai, the battle is over. Come on, I've come to living water to tell you the battle is over. It's not by might, nor is it by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. There's going to be revival. Come on now, there's going to be revival. You're going to see prodigals come home. You're going to see missionaries and preachers and pastors come out of here. There's going to be churches come out of here. There's going to be a, a, a thing that God does for this church because the battle is over. I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. God's the one that done it all. Let's just lift our hands. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you for what you did on Calvary, oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, help us, Lord. Help us to get back to that old rugged cross. Oh, God, help us right now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Sometimes musicians will come, let's all stand. Sometimes we, we answer the question, why, why do you go to that church? Why are you here? We'll say, well, I came, I was baptized, and I receive the Holy Ghost, and I'm faithful, and I give, and I, 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 I. Over time, if you keep living like that, answering like that, over time, not right away, but over time, you'll start to get off course, thinking you did something. But we need to answer that in the third person. Why are you here? He brought me out. He brought me in. He filled me with the Spirit. He remitted my sins in the watery grave of baptism. Church, we got to understand, he's done all the work. I haven't done anything. He that knew no sin became my sin that I might become the righteousness of God. We need to understand here tonight that nothing it's too hard for the Lord. I know people sometimes say, well, he got sick and he woke him up. And, mm, okay. 
well, that happened over there, that bad accident, but that didn't save them. God may have used it, but what saved them was our Savior. There would be no Pentecost if there wasn't the cross. So the message of the cross today, what Peter was rejecting, church, he picked up the first cross. We must pick up the second cross. If you're going to come after him, you must look back at what he did. And he's telling them, Remember when they went up to that mountain? Jesus was transfigured. And they said, we are, it is good for us to be here. Hey, let's build a temple for everybody in this place. What a miracle this is. I've often wondered what him, Jesus, and Elijah, and Moses, what were they talking about? But maybe he was saying, Moses, this is what you couldn't see. This is what you couldn't see. Elijah and Moses are just sitting there taking this all in, and all of a sudden it's gone. And let, let, it's good. We don't have to. This is supernatural. We don't have to. Let, let's be right here. Another temptation. Trying to get the Lord not to go to Jerusalem. When he was in the wilderness, the devil tempted him. He said, Bow down, worship me, I'll give you everything. Jesus rejected that. And then it says this, kind of a, letting us know what was going to happen, he said. And he left him for a season. Peter now is rejecting the message of the cross. And Jesus says, rebukes him. He says, thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. See, men want Human beings want what is easy. But there's a, a, a road of Delarosa that we need to walk down. He said, if you're going to follow me, look at the cross. I wish I could tell you there's another way, but there's not. You're going to come after him. You're going to have to deny yourself. That's the message of the cross. What does that mean? That means zeroing yourself out. That means you realize I'm not more important than the church. I'm going to protect what's happening here at this church with my life. Before you start criticizing the church and finding fault, realize this is the power and the wisdom of God on display. The Bible says the church is the pillar, the ground of truth. When God was looking a place for divine truth to touch earth, he didn't put it in the UN. He didn't put it in the local government. He came and put it in the church, the pillar, the ground of truth. You want to know where divine truth touches earth? It's the church. This here is where we live out and express our faith can't do that by yourself somewhere. God brings your sinful family and my sinful family in the church and we collide together. And I got to forgive you and you got to forgive me and I got to be long-suffering. You know what long-suffering means in the Greek? Suffer a long time. 
You got people backing into each other's cars and Billy breaking up with Susie and people are, I mean, the church sometimes, what is going on? But guess what? God said, I brought you in here so you can practice the fruit of the Spirit. So there might be times I have to forgive you. And there are going to be times you have to forgive me. Have you ever noticed sometimes it's easier to live for God if there wasn't people? But God says, no, 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 no. I didn't save you to put you in a vacuum. I saved you to bring you into my family. So you can practice being long-suffering, being gentle, being kind, being merciful, being peaceful. You want to know why God, he didn't say, let there be church like he did the sun and the moon. Boom, the church showed up. He didn't even make the church like he made Adam breathe into his nostril, became a That's not what he did. He had to purchase the church. Right here, this. You can meet here. Rachel and I have met in bank boardrooms, and it was a church. That service lasted one day. They'd open up that door, I could see people out cashing checks, and we're playing the keyboard. And I'm like, we're not going to be here long. We've been in hotels. We've been in every, we were in a place, uh, uh, a senior activity center where they cooked breakfast, and I was preaching against bacon and eggs and pancakes. But guess what? We were still, I was still preaching, trying to get their attention. They'd have a yard sale. They'd have stuff up, and we'd, we'd bring stuff to cover up all the videos and all the junk and all that underwear. Everything. They'd just sell all, and we'd, and we'd just have church. We'd be praying. People knock stuff off, had to pick it back up. But guess what it was? It was a church. And there was enough power in that setting as there is in this setting, as there was at Youth Congress, to bring somebody into the kingdom of God. Somebody might have more people, bigger church, but they don't have more power. Where two or three are gathered in my name, he said, I will be in the midst of them. There's enough power right here in this building to bring anybody into the kingdom of God. But if this church is going to be everything that God wants it to be, we're going to come after him. It's going to be because we answered heard the message of the cross. I'll deny myself and I will pick up my cross and I will follow you. I want us right now, before we come, I'm going to ask you to come in just a moment, but just where you stand, I just want you to lift your hand and I want you to see our Savior on that cross asking you to come. Oh, God. Lord, that thief on the cross was saved the last 10 minutes of his life. He had no reason, nothing he had done to bring him into paradise. He just recognized that he was guilty and you were innocent. And God, you looked over him and said, You're today, you'll be with me in paradise. God, if you can save him, a man, the last few breaths from death, God, you can do a work here tonight 
God, when they asked that thief on the cross, why are you here? All he could say is, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Lord, I kind of feel that way tonight. I don't know why I'm here. They may not know why they're here. But God, the message of the cross is, the man on the middle cross said that I can come. I wonder if we can step from where we stand tonight and come and just find a place to pray, to answer that message of the cross. Lord, yes. Lord, I will say yes. God, if you'll help me, if you'll show me, Lord, I'll deny myself. God, I know I'm not there yet. I know i got a long way to go, Lord, but God, I know if there's going to be a great church here in New Berlin, God, that somebody's going to have to deny themselves for the sake of the cross. All that pastor hear you pray. If we begin to pray, pastor, I believe there's a holy army here. People, they're going to say, I'll deny myself. Yeah, I'll pick up my cross and I'll come and follow you. Come on, let's give our lives away to him tonight. In the name of Jesus. Oh, church, lift up your voice and pray. Somebody pray in the spirit. Hallelujah. my cross. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, church, that's it. That's it, that's it, that's it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yeah. to pick up your cross. You'll never regret the day you said, Lord, I want the message of the cross to grip my spirit. I want it to grip my life, oh God. Come on, the message of the cross will give you purpose. It will give you direction. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.